Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to meet with you today. And as I look out in the audience, I see people who represent a lot of different time periods in my life. Uh, people who I knew as children, people who Pathfinder director out there. Um, and I see people who taught me. So um, it's an interesting turnaround to come and be ministering to people who have ministered to me over my life. Before we open scripture this morning, I invite you to bow your heads in prayer. Father, we come into your presence today. We open your word and we ask that you will guide us, that your message in scripture will be heard today. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. If you were to ask me what my favourite hobby is, I would have absolutely no hesitation in replying. It's reading. I love to read, and it doesn't matter what the circumstance, the best thing I can think of is to curl up with a good book and immerse myself. Now, I read a lot of different types of stories. I read a lot of different types of literature. I read theology because I teach theology. But perhaps one of my favorite groups of things to read are stories that are founded in history. My favorite stories have several characteristics. First of all, they grab my attention. Second, they have some interesting twists. But perhaps most importantly, they make me think. And one of the stories that grabbed my attention in the last 12 months was a biography of Queen Isabella of Spain. Now, before I read this biography, the only thing I knew about Queen Isabella was that she supported Christopher Columbus and she supported the Inquisition. Two quite widely different things. And on one hand, I was happy for her to be looking at new things. On the other, I couldn't have a positive, a positive thought about her because of her involvement in the Inquisition. But as I began reading, as I started reading a very complex and intriguing story, I realized some important things about Isabella. Isabella was a clever leader. She was well-liked, and she had a strong Christian faith. She worshipped not because she had to, but because she wanted to. She believed her role as queen gave her great responsibilities that she needed to look after. Responsibilities to God and responsibilities to her people. And as I kept reading, I began to think that perhaps I had misjudged this person. And I was left asking some important questions about my own faith and how my faith might manifest itself in both healthy and incredibly unhealthy ways. The story I want to talk about today from Scripture has all the characteristics of a good story. For those of you who have your Bibles, 
I want you to open them to Mark chapter 5, or some of you will have your phones and slide to them on your phones, uh, to Mark chapter 5. Like the biography of Queen Isabella, the story grabs your attention. It touches on the forbidden, the uncomfortable. It has twists and an unexpected ending. But more importantly, it makes me think. I started this story thinking it was a simple story. I started a sermon about how God is willing to calm our wild lives, even the lives that seem irredeemable before him. But the more I read this passage, the more I studied it, the more I realized there was a lot more here. My faith was challenged. And it's those challenges that I discovered that I want to share with you today. The story begins with Jews setting foot in Gentile territory. But it wasn't the Gentile soil that was the heart of the problem, although that certainly was part of it. Everything about this story is a problem. In fact, everything in the story is unclean. The tombs, the pigs, the Gentiles, and most of all, this wild man who is possessed by a demon. No respectable Jew would set foot in such a place. And to help us understand this, we need to understand that Jews had a series of both written and written rules that set up what we call purity maps. They defined the boundaries of Judaism. They defined who was Jewish and who was not, who was clean and who was not, who was acceptable and who was not. And while these ideas were set in place to help God's people rec recognize that they served a holy God, the use of these tended to be very negative. They tended to use these to be able to separate themselves, to put people down. They used them as means of exclusion. Here in Mark 5, this means that Jesus goes to a completely and totally forbidden place. He steps out of the Jewish comfort zone. Not only was the setting a place of uncleanness, of course, but there was this presence of the wild man. And to be honest, that's the one that worries me a little more. So I invite you to start reading, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 5. And I'm reading today from the NASB. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he said, and he had his dwellings amongst the tombs, 
and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with the stones. Doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? Is that someone you want to be around? Robert Grulich, in the Word Bible Commentary, suggests that these few verses are set up to tell us explicitly that this man was insane. For insanity had four separate pieces to it. You ran around at night. You spent the night in a cemetery. You tore clothes. Or you destroyed property. And here we have all four. So Mark is telling us about the insanity of this person. Now, frankly, the issues with the, the, the cemetery and the night don't worry me. The issues of the superhuman strength do. I have met somebody in an acute manic phase who destroyed everything in his pathway who demolished an entire house with his bare hands in, with superhuman strength. I did not want to be around him until he was sedated. But Jesus here walks out of the boat. He doesn't run. He doesn't go away. He's not afraid of this dangerous man. He's not afraid of the uncleanness or the purity maps of his Jewish background. He calmly gets out of the boat and walks towards the man. But something's missing here. Something is missing. Did you notice in verse 1 when they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes? What are the disciples doing? Where are they? Are they hiding? Are they challenged by the unclean elements of this story? Are they challenged by the insanity of this possessed man? Were they too afraid to step out of their comfort zone? We are, however, presented with a picture of Jesus, a picture of a man who shows no fear, who moves freely beyond the comfort zones defined by his ethnic group to liberate a bound man. And his actions call us as his followers to step beyond our comfort zone. We all have a comfort zone, right? A place where we feel most confident and safe. It's not defined by written rules such as the Jews. It may not even be geographical but we have a comfort zone nevertheless. And stepping out of that comfort zone makes us feel uncomfortable, vulnerable, uncertain. Jesus' actions call us to reflect on how our own comfortable lives might need to be disrupted. Do we retreat to our own safe 
retreats and homes when we hear about those with problems? Do we ignore or forget about them because they are outside of our comfort zone? Or do we respond in a way that reaches out in a way of a heart of compassion? Jesus calls us beyond our comfort zones to respond in compassion. When I was a teenager, I first read the story of Eve. And as I tell you the story, many of you may may remember it. She was just six years old. When her name was splashed across the media, and at that time she'd already suffered more than most adults had in a lifetime. She was a bright, happy girl who became progressively sad and depressed as she went into isolation. Eve was rejected from one school and another as parents objected to her presence on their grounds. Finally, just one school said yes, but that school put provisions in place. She could not use a water fountain. She had to use a separate toilet. She couldn't share her lunch with anyone else. She couldn't play contact sports. She must wear a face mask. And the problem didn't end at school. The neighbours wouldn't let their children play with her. And people put anonymous notes in their letterbox saying, go away, we don't want you here. What was the problem? The problem was that Eve had HIV. And she had the misfortune to have it in the 1980s when we knew very little about HIV and AIDS. So as word spread around, she became lonelier and lonelier as people feared for their safety and their health. When we tiptoe around the hurt in our community, when we tiptoe around the brokenness in our community, when we ignore it, refusing to move out of our comfort zones, refusing to act in love, we fail to display the character of the God that we know. God calls us past our comfort zones to touch the lives of his precious children with both the message and the expression of the gospel. Now, some of you here are sitting here white-haired saying, oh, yes, I went to the mission fields, or I spent my time out of my comfort zone. In my experience, God doesn't stop calling us out of our comfort zones. He continues to call us beyond those comfort zones. And sometimes the reason for the calls out of the comfort zones are unclear. We don't know. It's not obvious. Abraham didn't know what his call out of Ur would would lead to or why God called him to sacrifice his only son. And he was, yes, an old man at this time. Sometimes we don't even have any idea why we are called to out of our comfort zone. I recall sitting one morning at a medical conference in a hotel breakfast room. I was enjoying a leisurely breakfast 
when the spirit nudged. And the spirit said, Wendy, tell that woman over there about your call to ministry. And I was sitting there going, um, God, seriously? I don't even know if this woman's a Christian. Why would I actually go and talk to her about my call to ministry? And as I wrestled with the Spirit calling me beyond that comfort zone, he took a step for me. He brought the woman over to talk to me. So we talked, so I said, so I said to God, okay, well, listen, if, this, if, if, if it comes up, I'll certainly talk to, talk to the woman about you. But story of my call to ministry, not sure about that one. So we talked generally about work and the hospitals we worked in. We talked about our research projects. And then she noticed that I was a fellow. And she said, oh, you're in a fellowship. What year are you in? I said, I'm in my final year. So she said, so what are you going to do next year? So I said, "Um, well, as much as I like medicine, I'm actually going to go and study theology next year. Big startled look on her face. Oh, there must be a story behind that. Please tell me. (laughs) Okay. All right, God, I got a message. (laughs) I need to move out of my comfort zone. So I told her the story of how God had called me to ministry. I told her the story of how I had wrestled with it. I told her the story of how God had sent person after person to confirm my call. And when I am finished, when I finished, she looked thoughtful for a moment and then said, our meeting was a divine appointment today. I felt small. The spirit had wanted to pull me out of that comfort zone and and I was reluctant to do something small when I'd given up medicine for theology and all all he wanted me was to talk one story. This woman had been struggling with something God wanted her to do and she needed somebody to, to show her that it was okay to make a big step forward out of your comfort zone. God may call you to places that you have never been or to do things that you have never done before. They may be simple or difficult, but one thing is for sure. We must be willing to sacrifice our comfortable routines to follow the Spirit's leading, to see the extraordinary plans he has for both our lives and the lives of others. But this is not the only challenge in the story. So let's turn back to the, to the text. Scan down now to verse, verse 6. And we're going to read verses 6 through 10. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. And crying in a loud voice, he says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you. Do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
What do you notice in this story? Again, it's what's not there that caught my attention. Everywhere else that Jesus went, crowds flocked to follow Jesus. They wanted his healing. They wanted his words. And here is one man who comes to Jesus not of his own accord, but because the spirits bring him forward because they are worried for their own safety. And here the demons say that this is Jesus, the Son of God. Such a fascinating thing to come out of the lips of demons because even the disciples had not yet grasped that idea. Those of you who have your Bibles open, you can see in just the previous chapter when Jesus calmed the waves that they ask, who is this that does that, that has control over nature? They had not grasped what the demons had grasped. And so when the demon caused the man to shout and bow, Jesus doesn't necessarily obey the demons, although he does do something in their favor, but he wants to liberate the man. Now, I want you to imagine the scene for a moment. One minute in front of you, you have this raving, mad man. And on the back, you see 2,000 pigs on the hillside. And then at the voice of the Son of God, that man becomes immediately silent and still. And in the background, suddenly these 2,000 pigs are like lemmings jumping off the cliff one after the other into the sea. I think that'd be kind of spooky, wouldn't it, watching that happen? I would, I would wonder what was going on. And Mark suggests that those who were feeding the, the pigs chose to run away because they certainly were upset and startled by what they saw. But Jesus' concern was not for the demons. Jesus' concern was not for the pigs. Jesus' concern was about the man who was on the margins of society. He saw value beyond the Jewish boundaries, value in the midst of what seemed like a hopeless situation, and therefore Jesus acted to liberate this man. But Jesus' act of, of healing had major economic consequences. The pig owners lost their livelihood, and the nearby town was outraged. Jesus, on the other hand, was outraged that the man was bound. Economic consequences took second place to his thinking in liberating a human being. People are more important than property. The people from the town saw only the loss of their pigs, only the loss of their income. They missed the human being whose life had been transformed. They missed the living miracle sitting in their midst. They missed the gospel story. As followers of Jesus, we are called beyond, beyond our possessions and indeed beyond any obstacle 
that prevents us from seeing the true value of people. Now we know this, we know it intellectually, but we don't often consider the value of people on a daily basis as we pursue our careers, look for financial success, follow personal agendas. As we focus on these things and these priorities, people become unintended casualties. Too many children don't have quality time with their parents because they're working long hours. Too many adult children do not have enough time with their senior parents. Too many people get stepped on while another attempts to advance their career. Too many individuals are ignored because by association they make us look unacceptable. There's nothing wrong with a good career or financial success. There's nothing wrong with many of our personal agendas. But when they prevent us from seeing the value of the human beings around us, we have a problem. We need to be intentional about taking time for others, about trying to see the impact of our decisions. God calls us beyond our possessions, beyond the obstacles that are getting in the way of seeing the value of others. Turn back to Mark 5 with me for the third and final obstacle that I want to address today. And now we're going to start reading from verse 14, Mark chapter 5, starting from verse 14. And their herdsmen ran away and reported to the city and out in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed and sitting down clothed in his right mind. The very man who had been the legion, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to entreat him to depart from their region. With such a stunning miracle, we might have expected that people to clamour for Jesus to stay. After all, they did in other places. But this was not the response in Gentile territory. The people were afraid, and because they were afraid, they begged Jesus to leave them alone. Only the healed man was interested in the presence of Jesus. Perhaps they were terrified that they'd lose more of their income, and Jesus had already allowed 2,000 pigs to drown. And when given a choice between wealth and a new life, wealth and lifestyle took priority. But perhaps it wasn't the, the economic loss that was the problem. Perhaps this town feared change. Let's face it, most of us don't like change. Most people sit in the same pews every Sabbath, choose the same routes to drive to work every day, eat similar foods on a weekly basis, and interact with the same group of people. We don't like it when outsiders come in and tell us what to do. They didn't want Jewish Jesus disturbing their comfortable, familiar, pagan lifestyle. Or perhaps their fear went even deeper. 
Perhaps the fact that Jesus had cleared the demons from this man made them think that he might deal with the evil in their own lives too. The presence of God in their midst forced them to confront the reality of evil. Whichever reason was behind this fear, it prevented a population from experiencing the presence of Jesus. When Jesus was asked to leave, he did not force force his presence on them. He jumped in the boat and left. How often, when faced with choices in our own Christian life, do economic concerns, fear of change, or love of sins in our lives prevent us making the right choice or prevent us from spending time in the presence of Jesus? Jesus calls us to move beyond our fears. Move beyond our fears and trust him. He calls us to repent of our mistakes and allow his presence to change our lives. He calls us to step away from the familiar into a new life and of adventure with Jesus. When I have been called beyond my fears, I have stepped into an adventure of a lifetime, an adventure in faith that I wouldn't trade for anything. And yet he continues to confront me with fears. Jesus' interaction with the demoniac and the nearby town not only illustrate the power of God to transform lives, but challenge us as his followers to move beyond our status quo, beyond our comfort zones, beyond the obstacles that get in the way of valuing people, beyond our fears. I know as I've been preparing this sermon, I've wrestled with some of these challenges. And if the Spirit has been nudging you this morning, I have some next steps for you. For those of you who have identified the Spirit nudging you to move beyond your comfort zone. I challenge you to identify your current boundaries and pray that God will reveal how he is calling you to go beyond these boundaries to reach those who need to hear and experience the gospel. To those of you who sense the Spirit nudging you to move beyond the obstacles that are getting in the way of you valuing people, I challenge you to identify the main obstacle that's getting in your way and ask God to help you be more intentional this week in spending more time with people and meeting their needs. For those of you who fear what fully fully following Jesus might mean, whether it be fear of economic consequences, fear of change, or fear of having to give up your cherished sins, I challenge you to put confidence in him. Remember that in this story, the only person who wanted to be in Jesus' presence was a person who had already experienced and allowed God to work in his life. Jesus stands ready to disturb our comfortable, complacent lives. He calls us beyond our comfort zones, beyond our fears, beyond our possessions, beyond our agendas to a life of faith. It's a journey which not only transforms our lives, but helps us recognise the value 
that God puts on other people. Other people who have been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. What will you choose today? The status quo or something beyond? Father, give us the grace to follow you. Help us to, to follow you outside our comfort zones, beyond our fears, beyond the things that get in the way of doing what you want us to do. Father, we want to commit to doing this, but we are weak. So we ask for your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.